Hello and welcome back. We are continuing our Bible study that we are now calling God's Word During Exile. And uh, we are unfortunately missing our friend, Pastor Mike Natal, as he is on some vacation. And uh, just to go around here and and uh, point out who we do have still here, uh, we've got uh, Pastor Ben Baker, he's right over there on my screen. Um, just as bad at this and, as Mike. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> he's serving at St. Luke's in Trier, Iowa, which is is uh, pretty amazing that he's actually about an hour from me, and uh, we, we've been enjoying that um, since we basically grew up together and now get to serve not far from each other. And then uh, Pastor Mike Hussey from Sydney Lutheran Brethren, right, just a little bit over there on my screen and uh, and he uh, he and I go way back as well and uh, I got to serve at Sydney Lutheran Brethren Church which if any of you are watching I miss you guys and uh, uh, hope you're doing well and uh, of course missing since, Natal. Since uh, you mentioned that uh, Matt I've gotten yeah. word that people in Sydney would love to meet all of you guys so maybe yeah. we should get everybody together in Sydney because it's so centrally located. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. Everything <laughs> in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a really hot uh, vacation destination. Uh, you guys got snow recently, right? This morning. Yeah. <laughs> this morning. Congratulations. Thank you. We'll bring our uh, our skis if we come along. It's a little flat here for that. Yeah. Cross-country skis. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, and then we got uh, Mike Natal, not with us, from uh, Faith Chapel in Cranston, I believe, Rhode Island. And uh, I'm Pastor Matthew Nelson down in, and I'm, I'm right here uh, uh, in uh, Jewel and uh, Radcliffe, Iowa, serving a couple congregations, uh, St. Paul's in Jewel and Salem in, in Radcliffe, Iowa, actually just outside of both of them, a couple rural congregations. Um, but... Uh, also cool that we're representing the Lutheran Brethren Church, the Free Lutheran Church, and the AALC. What, is, what does that stand for again, Ben? I, I, is it American Association of Lutheran Congregations? Churches. Yep. Uh, churches. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so uh, this has been a great, great, great time. And uh, I'm not nearly as funny as Mike Natal, but uh, I'm happy to welcome you anyway. And uh, <laughs> uh, we're excited to get into our study today. Uh, we do have a podcast. Uh, Mike Hussey, would you mind mention, mentioning where people can find that? Yeah, for sure. If you just want the link, it's G-W-D-E, so God's Word During Exile, just gwde.podbean.com. We'll take you right to it. Otherwise, you can find it on Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, and even on your Alexa with the TuneIn service. We're still waiting on Pandora and Apple, but we'll be there eventually too. Okay, great. And I, I actually know that uh, some of uh, my people have mentioned that that's a, a nice feature to have because um, they maybe don't have an hour to watch a video, but if they're driving a lot or they're in the tractor or whatever, um, they can sometimes listen to that. So really happy to have that available. Um, and we do, too, right? What's that, Ben? Spotify also, right? Yeah, it's on Spotify. Yeah, yep. Spotify. If people use that. Um, and uh um, we do have an email address now as well that Mike Natal set up. It's um, it's God's Word During Exile uh, at gmail.com. And that's no spaces, no uh, no funny business with that. Just 
uh, spell that all out, God's word during exile at gmail.com. And please send lots of uh, messages to Mike while he's on vacation. And uh, <laughs> none of the rest of us can sign yeah. into that. It's just yeah. Natal at this point. So send him lots of love. But uh, we, we really would love to hear from you. And you can also comment on our Facebook uh, pages below the videos. And uh, we'd love to be able to answer your questions or hear your feedback or just uh, interact with you in those ways. Um, and so today, as we uh, get into the word, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1, um, verses 8 through the uh, end of the chapter, verse 20 there. And um, but we should also note, Matt, we attempted to go through verse 20 last week. <laughs> and got right. through verse seven. So, so yeah, we, if we don't get through it, we'll, uh, we'll continue next week. We don't want to go so fast that we miss important stuff or just kind of skip, uh, skip things. But, um, but we'll, we'll try to get through this today if, uh, if possible. Uh, so we'll be finishing up one section and, uh, working through the next. And so I'll leave that to Mike Hussey in a moment. Uh, but before that, I'd like to ask Mike to pray for us. Sure thing. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be gathered around your holy word. Lord, we thank you for this time to study the book of Revelation. Um, and we thank you that it points us constantly to Christ. Lord, allow us to see the comfort that is the book of Revelation, to know that in the end, you win. Uh, Lord God, that you will return and call your church home, that the sacrifice of Christ is enough for any sinner. Um, Lord, so we thank you for this book and the comfort and the joy and the hope that it brings. Um, Lord, show us that. God, as we dig into your word, pray also that you'd show us our sin and need for a Savior and point us to the Savior you sent in Christ. By your word, strengthen us for your service, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick up. Verse 8 is really the end of the section we tackled last week, starting in verse 4. Um, so we're going to read that, talk a little bit about verse 8, and then we'll jump into our next section here. So verse 8, reading again from the English Standard Version, in Jesus' name. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Once again, a lot of titles for God. There's some good stuff in here. Um, Alpha and Omega. Let's start there. Uh, that that sounds like what Greek or something? I don't know, guys. What is that? <laughs> yeah. So this is the the first and last letter of the the Greek alphabet, and um, and so there's a um, a picture then of the beginning and the end, and and really um, uh, a reference to you know, God, God existing eternally and thinking of uh, uh, how he is quite different than, you know, human beings uh, where we are just a blip on the timeline, you know, uh, with things, but he is uh, the beginning and the end of all things. And, and, uh, and we can also say that he goes beyond the timeline in either direction, but this is a quite a statement of, uh, about God's character as he uh, gives himself this title of the beginning and the end. Yeah. And you see this um, also reflected in the, in the old Testament. Um, for example, in Isaiah 41, you know, verse four, 
you know, says this, who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. So you hear that language of beginning and end, first and last. And um, that happens a number of times uh, in in Isaiah. So um, John here is reflecting very, to the Jew, very well-known, a very well-known name for God, um, the first and the last. Um, and so, yeah. So In Isaiah, um, there's uh, another verse, uh, 43, verse 10 mentions, uh, God says, uh, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. And, uh, and so this is a, a reference to uh, the fact that Everything else came after God, and nothing will be after Him. He, He is the one true God. Not, uh, no idol or any other supposed God is is like Him. Um, and we're going to see other uh, connections with uh, a contrast with idols that that are created things that are not true gods, um, like our God is. And so this is quite an important title. Um, Maybe a good thing to ask here is, who is this referring to? Oh, before we do that, um, we hear one more verse in Isaiah 44, 6. It says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer. Very interesting there, right? The Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. So we have also connected to that name for God, the first and the last, uh, his redeemer and his salvation, um, is tied into that as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so who is this talking about? You know, we, we've already heard as we quoted the old Testament portions that this is in the context of the Lord. Um, and so we automatically, automatically can associate this with Yahweh, uh, the I am, and, um, but this is also a title that, that Jesus shares, uh, with him, um, and which is similar then to the I am, which Jesus, uh, you know, makes a bunch of references to like, I am the resurrection mm -hmm. and the life and, and, uh, many things like that. So we can see that Jesus is truly God, but he, he shares this, uh, title, um, which we'll see, uh, later in revelation as well yeah it would appear that oh like as far as who's who is speaking is that like the lord god is that what you're talking about matt who's yep. speaking here it it seems to appear this would this would be god the father particularly who is speaking um just because it, it fits well with the structure of the opening part of uh, Revelation, where where God, the Father, speaks um, as well, and so because we have that same language of uh, who was and who is and who is to come, um, you know, we have we have that back in in verse four, and we see that um, you know all three persons of the Trinity are are named, and the Father has the name 
you know, him who is and who was and who is to come. And so it seems to, to fit well as far as, you know, kind of structural organization that this would be also God the Father speaking. But part of what makes it difficult, and Matt, you were mentioning this too, is that Jesus also shares those same titles. And so, and, and I think that we are meant to see it that, that way and, and have that kind of where things aren't as clear cut because Christ himself is also God. We have the, the mystery of the Holy Trinity. And so, you know, Jesus and the Father share certain names and titles together. Like we saw that even in the, that was what popped into my head with that Isaiah uh, 44, 6 uh, verse, you know, thus says the Lord. So we have there the divine name of God, Yahweh, right? The King of Israel and his Redeemer. So we have two people there followed by, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of Sabaoth, which is also a name for God the Father. But here, it's very much, I mean, it, I don't know. It could be referring specifically to God the Father there, but also could be referring back to his Redeemer. And so it's all kind of together there. It's not always clear cut who exactly is being described, um, simply because God the Father and God the Son are both God. And so they would share the same attributes and, you know, and Jesus and the father are given the same kind of titles and the same kind of names. And that's, what's going on too with Matt, you mentioned it earlier, like when Jesus in John chapter eight will, you know, he'll say something like, you know, before Abraham was, I am right. And the immediate reaction of the, of the religious leaders was to pick up stones and stone it. Why? Because what he said sounded to them like blasphemy mm-hmm. because he claimed for himself the very name of God that they knew of, you know, from the old Testament. Like, Oh, so yeah, Jesus was identifying himself with, with God, the father. So, so that's where some of that ambiguity comes in because both are equally God. And so they have similar titles at various places. So it seems to me that the significance of that is that we all kind of assume, or we all can basically agree on the fact that God holds these attributes, you know, God, the father, that he, he's eternal, that he's omnipotent, all powerful, that he knows everything omniscient, you know, these kind of things. And so uh, those are more generally accepted traits of God um, and then when Jesus is given those same titles and those same characteristics, it's significant because the man who walked amongst us, Jesus, is that same God. And I think uh, so that that's something that we can't ignore. Um, and kind of the reason I asked this then is just to get our, our bearings in this passage, um, but also to bring up the fact that we're going to be seeing Jesus uh, sharing those divine characteristics and titles. Uh, but then here uh, we got, we've got another title of God uh, that we'll look at in a moment, but it seems to be that, that this is the father and that he is presenting Jesus um, and announcing Jesus. And this is, again, seems to be very similar to some other passages uh, like uh at the baptism of Jesus and at the transfiguration where God, the father announces his son and, and, uh, and addresses him. And now I think this is really what's happening again here. God, 
because this is sort of a unique moment here in the book of Revelation where it appears God the Father is directly speaking. And what is he doing? He has uh, been, he is drawing attention to his son, who again is the ultimate focus of the whole book of Revelation. We're going to see a really amazing description of his son in a moment. Matt, are you saying once again that that the Bible is about Jesus? Yes. <laughs> okay, that's good. I just wanted to and, check. And, yeah, and uh, go ahead, Matt. Oh yeah, I, I don't want to get off too much, but I, I was telling uh, Mike and Ben before this how encouraged I've been by studying this passage because it can be kind of intimidating, kind of confusing, kind of bizarre looking at some of these descriptions and and things. But honestly, this is such a beautiful and simple picture of Jesus. Um, and and we're, we're going to be presented with just simply the Son of God. And yet uh, he is full of glory and amazing attributes. But if you come away from all of this, just more in awe of Jesus, uh, that's, that's really... Um, I think the focus um, he's being presented here in quite a wonderful way. And it doesn't need to be necessarily more complicated than that. Uh, We're, we're being drawn to him, but the characteristics of him do matter. And and I'm excited to look at those more. Ben, what were you going to say? Just to to comment before we, we move on, on the term, the almighty. So this is, you know, another name, uh, for God. Um, and it's interesting to note, this is also probably, you know, one of the reasons why I think probably that is God, the father who is speaking because in revelation, uh, this title is only used for the father. Um, it is, um, in Greek, Pantokrator, so all powerful, right? And this would be opposed as, for example, like Satan is described as, um, kind of like the ruler of this world, the cosmocrator, but God is the pontocrator. He is the ruler of everything. He is the almighty. And so it translates then, you know, in, in Hebrew, the uh, Yahweh of Sabaoth, which is Lord of hosts. We hear that. So that's one of the, uh, the Hebrew names for God that is translated by the Greek pontocrator and also uh, Shaddai, you know, El Shaddai, God, Almighty. And so, you know, this is um, showing up here as well. And so, again, in Revelation, it's only referring to God the Father. So this would also be why we would think that God the Father himself is is speaking here. Um, but it also just testifies to the fact that God is all-powerful. He is the ruler over everything. Um you know, and we like to set ourselves up and think that we rule over things or Satan likes to think that he rules over everything, but only God himself um, is king of all things. Um, and he is the almighty and no one can overpower him or do things contrary to his will and desire. So. King of kings and Lord of lords. <laughs> I think I read that somewhere once. <laughs> All right, so let's keep rolling then. Um, The next section of Revelation 1 is really verses 9 through 20, and it's a a big chunk. I mean, and we've proven at this point that big chunks are difficult for us. 
So as hard as it, hard as it is to break this down, uh, I'm going to take just the first three verses, 9 through 11. We'll start there and then keep on trucking after that. So we'll continue to read in Jesus' name. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day when I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. You guys gave me all the churches to read. That wasn't very nice. <laughs> well, I know that you've also got a pretty cool map you're going to show us later, but I do. I do. Let's actually pull that up right now. Cause I think now is a completely appropriate time. Cause we can see where, cause John says he was on the Isle of Patmos and, uh, and he mentions all these churches. So we'll just get you a, a picture of where these things are. Uh, so Patmos, I don't know if you can see my cursor. Yep. Is right here, a little island. It's yellow, which means it's a, a Greek island, right? Right off of the coast of what we would call Turkey today. And then all the churches you get Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Cyrus, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and even some other churches that we're familiar with in the Bible, like Colossae, where the book of Colossians was written to, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's, you guys got any comments on that, or should I pull that back down? <clears throat> so, uh, Maybe just for a moment, it mentions that uh, John was on the island of Patmos. Um, and so why, why was John on Patmos? Well, he, he tells us that he was exiled there kind of for the sake of the gospel. Um, I don't know if you guys were able to find any um, better historical things. I guess Eusebius recorded um, the, the full reasons, but I wasn't able to find it when I looked this week. Yeah, I'm. I don't know a whole lot of more detail on on that, but you know, John being uh, imprisoned, uh, you know, for sharing the gospel, I think basically is what's going on, and um, and so this is this wouldn't be like maybe uh, so much like a normal prison, right? But he was. I think this was kind of like a house arrest, sort of, wasn't it? stuck stuck him on an island i don't necessarily think this was the most torturous oh no uh, i don't place. think the greek islands were all that right, you know right. torturous that sounds um, like a vacation to me yeah <laughs> i mean Maybe. not being able to leave and being exiled sounds terrible I, the next direct recording of this uh, bible study <laughs> will be from the island of patmos right. <laughs> mike hey, mike will be there <laughs> you're footing the bill man i'm there <laughs> um but uh, but definitely, I think that it ends up being uh, a, a way to, I think, silence him. Maybe stick him on an island so he can't do too much damage. Is that maybe a good way to understand this? Um, but, uh, you know, he calls himself a partner in the tribulation. And I know that we can see with the disciples of Jesus, uh, even to this day, how uh, the, we endure... Uh, tribulation in this world and hatred because of Christ and and the message of Christ and I don't think this was really any different uh, I mean certainly there were some unique circumstances not everybody gets uh, stuck on that particular island but um, but the the fact that a Christian would be undergoing 
persecution or tribulation is is not only nothing new, but it's something Jesus told us to expect. Um, which, thinking of that then back to this phrase, your brother and partner in the tribulation, Jesus, uh, you know, went through tribulation. Now John's going through tribulation, um, and he's he's writing to these churches that are going through tribulation, and and so um, he's he's a partner in that. Um, and so he understands it. And this is going to be a message then to people who are troubled. I think that we can also say we're, we're pretty troubled, um, still in this world. Um, you know, this, this week with judge Barrett, uh, getting questioned by the, the Senate, um, and, uh, and with particularly with the media response, uh, and, and a lot of people's response to, um, Bar Judge Barrett's nomination, uh, it seems pretty obvious that she's being attacked because of her, her faith. She's a Roman Catholic, devout Roman Catholic. And, um, and I, I hadn't known a lot about her before this week, but uh, people jumped on her pretty hard about that and thought, and, and really treat that as a real detriment and, and treat her like an enemy of our country and our constitution and about, you know, an enemy of our freedom as people. And, and, uh, that really goes to say, or, or I think that really shows what a lot of people think about Christianity and our God and our, our faith, you know, and, um, and many people hate us and, and what we believe and what we're about and what is guiding us. And so, um, you know, otherwise, uh, we do experience a lot of, uh, a lot of freedoms and a lot of blessings in this country, but I think we can still relate to this in, in, in a little way. Uh, certainly around the world, there are Christians right now that are suffering greatly in a way that even in America, we really can't, uh, can't fully comprehend, I think. Yeah. And just a, a note on, on that too. Sometimes I think we, when we hear, about suffering and tribulation, um, we kind of, I don't know, limit the definition of it to, well, you, you're not really experiencing uh, persecution or tribulation or suffering unless, unless your life is on the line. Like we kind of have that idea. And we should just know that, you know, Jesus never explicitly defines like, in, you know, tribulation only means these you know these particular conditions to this degree but it is it's much more general and so tribulation persecution suffering it happens uh it has been happening it will happen it will continue to happen until christ returns to um in various ways and to varying degrees of severity so we we don't need to you know say, oh, no, we don't, we can't say what, what we go through is persecution or tribulation because it's not to the point of losing our lives. But tribulation, so persecution, it comes in various ways. You know, um, mm -hmm. it's not only one way or to one degree. And so, you know, certainly it's, it's obviously a valuable thing to recognize that we don't have it as bad as some other places uh, in the world at this time. But that doesn't mean that we don't also undergo tribulation and persecution 
it doesn't mean that we are not also uh, partners with, you know, John and all the saints who have come before us, the saints who are present uh, with us now at this time in this world. We share in that tribulation, whether it be what uh, what our brothers and sisters are going through in in countries where their churches are getting blown up or in countries where they're being put in prison, you know, just because at this point we're not being put in prison uh, doesn't mean we don't share in that tribulation that we don't, uh, we don't suffer for the sake of the gospel too. Uh, we do also in this country, just not in exactly the same ways or to the exact same degrees. Um, but that's all part of it. And that's not to say, you know, I don't know why we, we tend to th- have this idea where we need to like brag about our tribulation or about our persecution as if it has to reach a certain degree in order for us to be like, Oh yeah, see, we're really being persecuted. But we just understand that, that all of this stuff, whether it's small or big or whatever is all part of that tribulation and suffering and persecution that the church of Christ undergoes um, has been undergoing is now and will continue to undergo until our Lord returns. So don't count yourself out just because your circumstances aren't as severe as others in the body of Christ. We are still together in the body of Christ, partners in the tribulation. John, John was partners with his fellow disciples who were killed by the sword and other things like that. He himself was exiled. Was he less a partner because he wasn't, you know, cut through the heart with a sword or had his head chopped off? No, of course not. So, so why are you emphasizing this so strongly, Ben? What What's the point of making sure that we can relate to the or being a partner in tribulation here? Um, I guess that was just a lot of what I've what I've seen myself. I see a lot of a lot of times people will say, "Oh, you know, you can't say that we in the United States face any persecution because you know our churches aren't being blown up and we're not being." threatened with death. So persecution is only happening outside of the United States. And basically it ends up being like a shaming and ridiculing of, of Christians who would identify any kind of oppression as persecution. Oh no, it's not, it's not bad enough. How dare you say that? And that's just simply not true. If that's, if that's the case, then, you know, what the scripture speaks of concerning, you know, tribulation trial that we will undergo as Christians means nothing to us. Then what, what, what is the meaning of the things that we do suffer if they are disqualified because they're not to a certain degree. And I think that, uh, I think it's rather, I don't know if I was to be blunt, I think it's rather reprehensible when people do that, when they, you know, shame and shout down people for saying that what we undergo in the United States is, is persecution. We are part of that body of Christ and we endure those things too. And the degree doesn't matter. That's not what makes it tribulation or not. And so um, the words of John here in Revelation are just as much for us too and the things that we also suffer and undergo. And so we can both be aware of how things are around the world with our fellow brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And we can also understand too that we also suffer as Christ promised that we would in our context also in the United States. We're not disqualified because the government's not hunting for us to throw us in prison and kill us. So So maybe to uh, break this down, see if I'm getting this right, Ben. 
you're saying that we don't need to like seek greater tribulation uh, as if that's somehow more glorious or something. Also, we don't need to diminish what we're going through and every one of us suffers, right? As a believer. And, but also I think what you mentioned is really important too, that these words are then for us too. And I mean, not only these specific churches are receiving this message, um, you know, John received it, uh, the churches receive it and we receive it too. We are not disqualified, as you said, from this. So this, this message and the book of Revelation then is meant to be a blessing to every one of us. And, and uh, it meets a real need because every one of us goes through these trials and tribulations. Yep, regardless of degree or form. Mm-hmm. Yep. To kind of come at this from a, a different angle, I've also heard it taught that if you aren't suffering greatly for your faith, that's because you're not a good enough Christian. Um, which is absolutely ridiculous. And it comes from nowhere in all of Holy Scripture. You know, John 15, 18 says, the world hates you. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus says the world is going to hate you. He doesn't set up a scale of how much the world is going to hate you depending on like how faithful you are, whether or not you're a good enough Christian or whether or not you deserve to be saved. And so I've actually heard people teach that if you're not suffering enough for Christ, well, you're probably not actually saved. You're going to end up in hell because you're not suffering enough. You know, it is not scripture. Mike would, this, this actually brings up some memories for me because when I was in, in uh, Bible college and uh, you know, we went there together, but Maybe you remember this, but I remember some people would actually encourage me and, and uh, uh, to join them in praying for tribulation and temptation and trials uh, as if somehow then they would please God more or that God would somehow be more glorified by them suffering more. And, um, and so they were inviting it. They were asking for it. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's right. When we are going through it, we can take comfort in the fact that God understands and he's provided for us, he's with us, and and things and, like that. And also in Romans and James 2, Matt, it, it tells us that God is using that suffering, right? Right. The suffering isn't in vain. It's not just there, but God used the suffering to, to better equip us for what comes yeah. next. But inviting it and being excited about it and... And even kind of being arrogant that, oh, I can handle this and I can prove myself with works and and then I can glorify God more or prove myself to God more. I think it's just foolishness and it's arrogance um, and it's, it's inviting trouble. And if anything, we should recognize our weakness and be humble and, uh, and not, not uh, <laughs> try to... Um, you know, put too much trust in ourselves and, and things like this in the midst of it, but, but also to recognize that this is really more of a comfort for all of us because we do go through uh, trials and tribulations and persecutions in our life. And, uh, and, and even though God can use them, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are good or that they should be sought out. You shouldn't just yeah. go pick a fight with an unbeliever to invite persecution so you get thrown in jail. Like I see some people in California doing and a church saying, bring it on, bring it, right. uh, 
bring on the hatred of the government and, and the people, we can take it because we're the church and we're supposed to do that. Right. You know, and yeah. And, and it's not to say either to say, Oh, we are, we are suffering, you know, woe is me, poor us. That's, that's not the intent either. It's just to recognize, Oh, Hey, guess what? Jesus said this was going to happen. Okay. Oh, we're, we're suffering this or being persecuted. Okay. You know, we were, we were told this is going to happen. Hey, look, John, John was experiencing that too. Hey, look, the church has experienced this uh, throughout the entirety of her existence and will continue to until Christ returns. And so it should be, it shouldn't be surprising to us as St. Peter says. Um, so no, we don't go looking for it and seeking it out and saying, Oh gosh, I wish I was persecuted more, but we just recognize that when it comes, this is what must happen in a sinful world. This is simply the reality and so one, we're prepared for it and two, again, that comfort that, you know, God uses that to strengthen our faith and to make us more like Christ. So this is for us too. Mm -hmm. um, a couple things. Uh, one, when it says the tribulation, I don't know, know that we need to automatically jump to a particular uh, tribulation just to refer. It's not a proper noun. Right. You know, that this is talking about the tribulation that, that all believers endure then is kind of, I think the point we're trying to get at that. Um, so don't, don't get caught uh, trying to assign this to a particular exact uh, tribulation at a certain period of time, but to see this more as the tribulation that we believers endure. Um, but uh, the second thing I guess is maybe that we, so we don't talk only about tribulation here. <laughs> what else is he saying he's a partner in? The kingdom. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But what kingdom is that? Rome has fallen, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the kingdom of heaven. And this is pretty amazing that if, if he was currently a partner in the kingdom, uh, he's a citizen of heaven, citizen of the kingdom of God at that time, even during tribulation, even way back then. And... And, and that tells us something about uh, the status of believers, that we are partners in the kingdom. We are citizens of heaven right now, even though um, we are yet to experience it fully. Uh, this is kind of that realized eschatology, the already and the not yet. We are already partners in the kingdom as believers, um, even though we are yet to hear that trumpet call and, and experience fully the, the blessings of the kingdom. We are currently a part of it. Um, and, and we have all of the rights and privileges then of a member of, and partner of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And, and we shouldn't think of it as um, like geographically located, you know, like we can look and say, Oh, there are the borders and it's mapped out here. And that's not, the idea there, I think that uh, Dr. Jeff Gibbs is really helpful in this when he speaks of the kingdom of God. He, he speaks of it as the reign and rule of God that comes in Jesus Christ. And so the kingdom of God, the reign of God in Christ that Jesus brought with him uh, is all of, the, all of the blessings that come with that. It's the forgiveness of sins, right? It's eternal life. It's the promise of the resurrection uh, from the dead. It's the favor of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, all of these things. Um, are under that uh, kind of title, the kingdom or the reign and rule of God um, or heaven. And so we are 
uh, partners in all of that too. We have received the same blessings, the same gifts, uh, chiefly again, the forgiveness of sins um, for Christ's sake and the hope of the resurrection of the dead and life eternal. And so, so yeah, not just, not just partners in suffering and tribulation, but partners also in all of those blessings uh, in Christ being joined to every other believer as the one body of Christ. Um, And it's interesting too, that John mentions there also the patient endurance, right? And that's, you know, perhaps something that we could, we could think a lot on too. You know, we, we tend not to be very patient when it comes to suffering and trial. We want to give up pretty easily, but we are called to patient endurance, you know, um, to simply, yeah, I mean, that's a good word, but to simply endure it, to understand that it's coming, um, that it has, you know, it's come in the past. It's here now. It'll come again, all these kinds of things and endure to the end, right? Jesus says many times, you know, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so, you know, and this is not, you know, here's the looking inside myself for the strength to endure, but, but that endurance comes through, you know, through faith in Christ, through, you know, the faithful uh, hearing and reading of his word and receiving of his sacraments, um, you know, the, the fellowship companionship that we have in the body of Christ, um, that we can stand together in it. But, you know, just that idea, you know, it's not raging against, uh, you know, tribulation and suffering. It's not stirring up an army and going on the offensive, but it's patient endurance uh, for the sake of Christ, knowing that, you know, our future is, is secure. Even if they go so far as to take our lives, we have the resurrection of the body coming in the life everlasting. And, you know, the picture of Jesus is so amazing and wonderful uh, that, I mean, Jesus stepped down into the suffering with us, right, and and endured it, uh, the ridicule of men and and uh, and and uh, suffering out of the weight of our sin, and he he carried it patiently all the way to the end, like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth, right? He endured it right till the very end, and and so he even you know, did this on our behalf and, and we who are trusting in him, we have his endurance, right? And he he carried that right to the end, but but also we have the resurrection. We have the fact that that Christ took it all, all the way to death, all you know, and and right through the other side and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And that's our hope that that even if we have to endure it like Jesus all the way to the point of death that we have hope on the other side of this. And, and so um, we don't need to um, live in fear and panic about, uh, about suffering uh, in, in the name of Jesus. Um, but to know that, that our savior went before us. I, I, I heard a great sermon on Psalm 23 and uh, uh, at a funeral and thinking about how Jesus you know, our good shepherd walked um, through the valley of the shadow of death before us. And, and so he's, he's with us, he's going before us, he can relate to our suffering. Um, but also, you know, to think then that he, he came out the other side and we get to as well is pretty amazing.
All right, let's, uh, let's keep moving there in verse nine then. Um, after John talks about that patient endurance in Jesus, he reminds us he was on the Isle of Patmos and gives us the reason why. He says, on account of the word of God, and I think really the issue here is not on account of the word of God, but also the testimony of Jesus, right? If John was just continuing to teach the things that the Jewish people believed, just Old Testament scriptures and not the fulfillment in Christ, he wouldn't have landed himself there on Patmos, right? Probably not. Prob Ben's like, we can't know for sure. This will take <laughs> much study. <laughs> but yeah, it's the, the testimony of Christ. It was, it was, you know, the understanding of the Old Testament being fulfilled in Christ and his sacrifice and, and everything else. It was that, that, I'm using air quotes for those of you that are on the podcast, that new religion of Christianity, which mm -hmm. is, is just the fulfillment of, of the Old Testament scriptures, right? Um, so that's the end of verse nine there. Uh, and then we get to 10 and John uses a weird phrase, at least maybe weird to our ears. I was in the spirit. What yeah. is, what is he saying when he says I was in the spirit on the Lord's day? Um, there are a couple of different, I suppose, probably common takes on it. Um, some would see it as uh, simply, you know, as the, Old Testament prophets often where they were, you know, caught up in a vision, you know, Isaiah goes, you know, into the, you know, the presence of God in, in heaven. Uh, and so someone see that similar thing that John is experiencing that he is, you know, transported basically into, uh, into heaven and he sees, you know, hears and sees all of these, these things. Um, another way that it could certainly be, understood is that simply especially in connection with that next phrase on the lord's day that john was simply uh worshiping and meditating on the word of god and so he was in the spirit in that way in the same way that all of us would be in the spirit and so um some take it in in that regard too that john was uh, worshiping meditating on the word of god and god came to him and supernaturally brought him into heaven basically they really opened up you know his eyes to see the reality and ears to hear the reality that um that was in heaven that's normally hidden from our eyes wouldn't that be crazy to be sitting in church you know worshiping or whatever and all of a sudden you know <laughs> coming up behind you is the powerful voice of god and seeing all these things and it reminds me of a story i heard about my grandpa uh, who had a, he was renowned for his humongous voice and, uh, and he was helping out with a church play or musical or something like that. And they stuck him up in the balcony to play the part of God. And, and, uh, people were going about this thing and not everybody knew this was going to be happening. And, and people were watching the church thing and he booms out from right above and behind the people I am God. And he just terrified people. They were, you know, they didn't know it was coming and he totally freaked them out. And, uh, and, and uh, I know that is like nothing compared to what John was experiencing, but this must've been um, truly a surprising event for John um, to have God speak to him like this. I know you, it would be insane. It would be crazy if the heavens open and we could see all that. But think about what worship actually is, right? 
It is God coming to us through word and sacrament. We may not be seeing all the things that John saw, but God is coming to us. He, he's descending to man, offering all the gifts, everything that the perfect life and death and resurrection of Christ accomplished. And so, I mean, we really are in the throne room when we, when we are on, in worshiping together on Sunday mornings, when the word of God is spoke, because God is right there among us coming, giving gifts, offering forgiveness, redeeming, saving. It's, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, the divine service is heaven on earth. Heaven and earth become one. Yeah, and so as long as we're talking about that too, we can talk about that phrase, the, the Lord's Day. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it might only be here in, in Revelation where it's spoken of in that particular way. Um, but I shall we, we talk about it because, you know, we, well, we worship on, on Sundays. We gather on Sundays, whereas under the Old Covenant, the Jews gathered on the Sabbath, the seventh day on Saturday. So what's all this business about the Lord's Day? What is John speaking of? Um, and so, I don't know, I guess basically just to talk about the reason we, we gather on Sundays, and this is you know the practice of the apostles as well. We read about that in Acts, that they gathered on the first day of the week. Um, and the reason for doing so is not because there's any particular command for a particular day. Paul tells us very clearly um, that, you know, one regards a particular day as special and another doesn't, he said, you know, it doesn't matter. There's not a, there's not a command for a specific day, but the practice of gathering on Sundays, you know, goes back to the, the practice of the early apostolic church there that they would gather on the first day of the week. And the reason that they did that is because Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so every Sunday, every first day is kind of like a little resurrection day, you know, as we, you know, as Christ rose on the first day of the week, it's also uh, understood in scripture as the eighth day, which is the day of new creation and the day that never ends. And so um, we also celebrate that as well, that on the eighth day, it is the, you know, we are new creatures in Christ and, and that day never ends. And we, so it testifies to the eternal life that we have in Christ as well. But so anyhow, that's the, why we worship on Sundays. And that's what's going on there with, with the Lord's day. It's, it's interesting that you brought up the eighth day talking about the new creation. Uh, <clears throat> so your baptismal fonts in your churches, have you counted the number of sides on them? Ben, how many do you have? Eight. Do eight. you have eight? Matt, how many do you have on yours? Uh, I don't remember with the one here, but I know uh, a number of them I've seen have had eight. Here, here in Sydney, we have six. Um, and that's kind of unfortunate. But if you see a, an eight-sided baptismal font, what's that pointing to? It's the eighth day. It's the new creation, right? Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's good stuff. You know, when, you're, when everything in your church is set up thoughtfully, um, it's all going to communicate Christ. It's going to communicate redemption and forgiveness. And, and so, Ben, two thumbs up on your baptismal font. I've told my trustees they need to get to work adding two sides to mine. <laughs> so if any trustees are watching, we still need that. Yeah. I'm... I'm not very good at uh, at uh, carpentry or maybe even geometry, but that sounds like that might be a hard thing to figure out how to add a couple sides. <laughs> yeah, we could always just start from scratch. Yes. Uh, but, you know, as we were thinking about this uh, and, and this amazing revelation to John, um, I know some people 
really desire to have God open up the clouds and speak to them. And, um, and with powerful visions like John is receiving here, I, I know a lot of people desire to have that as well. In fact, I've, I've talked to a number of people, uh, even some really good friends that have, have told me over and over, man, why won't God just open up the clouds and speak to me? Why won't he give me a vision like this? Um, and, uh, and I can understand that, that that does seem exciting, does seem like that would verify a lot of things for us or maybe help us in some way. Um, but I don't know that, that we need to have that. And, uh, I was looking at a meme earlier this week, uh, of, uh, somebody asking this question. They said, uh, or saying this statement, I, w- I really wish God would just speak to me. And, and then the person responds, well, read your Bible. And I said, well, no, not, not like that. I mean, I wish he'd speak to me out loud. They said, well, read your Bible out loud. <laughs> and uh, um, the fact of the matter is that we have the canon of Scripture here, uh, and this is the last book in the Bible, uh, whether it was the last one written or not. It, it completes the, the canon of Scripture, and, and uh, we don't need to have these things the same way that that they needed it while the scriptures were being written. And, and these things are actually written down for us, um, even for those who desire to hear God's word. And this is actually God's word speaking to us, even as we see this account of, of John receiving the vision and the hearing the voice of the Lord. So this is shared with us for that, um, for that same purpose to communicate with us. And we don't have anything less than um, those. It certainly, um, it would have been pretty amazing to have this experience with John. Um, but what we have is just as powerful and, and is meant to be just as in, encouraging for us as it was for John um, who experienced it firsthand. All right, well, let's continue on there in verse 10. Um, John says at the second half of the verse, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet and then rolling into 11 saying, um, I feel like I've heard similar passages in kind of quite a few other places in scripture. Uh, can you guys think of any, anything that would sound similar? What is the the passage about the the trumpet of the Lord and him coming on the clouds? Yeah. It's it's a very secret silent trumpet though, you know that that uh most people don't hear. <laughs> Mike Natal's cosmic dog whistle. <laughs> yeah. Uh mm-hmm. but obviously this is uh meant to uh point out that this is something uh, majestic and obvious and that people will hear. I mean, one thing, if you think my dad's a trumpet player, I was a trumpet player for a while. One thing that's pretty obvious about a trumpet is it's bright. It's loud. It's majestic. It's noticeable, you know, I think majestic depends on who's playing it. <laughs> that's right. I can make well, a trumpet make noise. Yes, I guess <laughs> <laughs> the honking and uh, terrible squealing and whatever noises uh, that I made when I was, starting 
maybe come back to, to mind a little bit. But growing up in the house of a professional trumpet player, uh, I got to experience the amazing beauty and majesty of, of uh, beautiful trumpet parts. And it also is uh, not easy to hide when my dad was practicing trumpet. It was pretty obvious, even if he was hidden away in a room in the basement, it was very obvious to everyone that he was playing the trumpet. And I think that's really the, the picture that we're supposed to have here too. I don't know if you wanna talk about any of the other particular places that the trumpet uh, is mentioned, but this is a common theme with the with the coming of Christ that there will be a trumpet blast uh, for uh, for everyone to hear, and it's actually explicitly mentioned that that everyone will will notice, everyone will hear the trumpet blast. So my my joking around is really to point out that the that this is not meant to be a secret thing or one that you could possibly miss but that every single person on earth will hear this trumpet blast. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's keep moving then, Ben, unless you had something to comment about that voice of God speaking. Mm -hmm. no? uh, so the end of verse 11 then is write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. We've talked about the number seven quite a few times. It's completeness. It's, you know, the entirety of a thing said, but in this case, it's also seven specific churches that we saw the picture of um, right to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. We've already kind of talked about this bit a little bit. Did you guys have any more comments there on, on verse 11 about the, the recipients of this letter from John? Well, from Jesus through John, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they probably, um, and they would have known John, you know, he was serving in that, you know, in Ephesus and in that area before he was exiled. And, um, I believe he went back there after he was released from exile. So they would have known, known him and who was writing to them. And then again, it just, it kind of just forms a circle, you know, Ephesus would coming from Patmos and up, up there, you'd hit first Ephesus and then. Smyrna, then Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, bringing it all the way back around. So just, you know, very common sense, uh, well-traveled route. Um, and so it's writing for all the churches in that, in that area who either were um, currently undergoing persecution in some form or would uh, in the future. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Anything else you guys want to say about those? places i mean we'll get into them more specifically when yeah, we get when to we chapter get the letters, two yeah. i just think that as we we think about the fact that there were these specific churches mentioned that you're they're not left it's not left uh, vague or as if it was just writing to any general you know whatever seven churches they, these are specifically named and and that gives us some clues that it's it's talking to some people directly and i think that that has to, I don't know, temper our, our interpretation of the book of Revelation to not have everything about the book of Revelation be far in the future, that this was a book that was uh, written to help people in that day at particular congregations. And, uh, and so it, 
the the interpretations that we have um, are something that uh, should be a blessing to those seven churches in that day, and and also we remember that they were seven churches, and we talked about before how that gives us a hint that this is also referring to with seven being the number that were picked, that this is referring to figuratively referring to the, the greater church, the whole church on earth and throughout time. And so this is actually a message then for us today as well. So as we interpret this, we see whatever we, we interpret this as basically needed to be a blessing and a message to them and to us. Um, and, and so it's going to be cool to see what, what God teaches us, um, as we look at each of those particular churches and try to think about, uh, what that means, uh, for us today as well. I think that's a really good point to remember, Matt, that this was, this was a letter written to seven real churches and it needed to be a blessing to them, you know, so we can't just think it's all off in the future. And thankfully, it is a blessing to us. And we're going to get, you know, because once again, we did not finish Revelation chapter one in our allotted hour. So our hour is now up. We got how many verses? Did we succeed more than last week? One, two, three, four. No, we did the same amount, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So that's our pace. Four verses in an hour. I love it. It's good stuff but it's dense stuff. Uh, So tune in next week when we start seeing, I'm just going to give you a little teaser. We get a vision of Jesus Christ and it's going to be awesome and glorious and wonderful and fantastic and amazing. Just like Ben. Okay. Better than Ben, but Ben, will you pray for us? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my father. Thanks. Uh, Once again, that we could gather uh, together and take a look at your word and we just pray and and ask that you would grant to your whole church throughout the world, regardless of uh, degree or form of trial, tribulation, persecution, suffering, you grant to us that patient endurance um, that we may ever uh, hold fast to the promise that you have given to us in Jesus Christ, that um, no matter what happens in this life even if it comes to the point where we lose all that we have or lose our own lives we have that sure and certain promise of the resurrection of the body and life everlasting and may we fix our eyes on christ and that eternal reward and not get so attached to uh, the things of this earth that we lose sight of the vision of heaven and eternity with christ and so uh, we pray for ourselves and your whole church, Lord, that you would grant to us that patient endurance uh, to hold up under trial, to not waver in faith, and to understand that even though it's not pleasant, it all comes from your good and gracious hand. And so to that end, may you uh, preserve your church in the one true faith unto resurrection and everlasting life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you, guys.